Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 is where I will direct your attention, the New Testament book of Ephesians. So thankful for our new folks that have been coming the last several weeks. So thankful for all of our water baptisms since the first of the year. Uh, we have two more that are going to be baptized at the close of our service today. Sloan and Winston are going to be baptized. We're excited about that. Amen. And obviously the presence of the Lord that is drawing people, and I'm forever grateful for that. The book of Ephesians chapter number 3. And I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Paul the Apostle is the author of this letter to a church in Ephesus. And we kind of jump into what some people call a doxology. A doxology is a, a final type of wording that kind of sums up praise to the Lord. You'll see this in many of the New Testament epistles at the end of the epistle. But kind of sandwiched here in the middle of the book of Ephesians is a doxology or a praise that Paul gives to the Lord. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. In the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And here's how long, forever and ever. Amen. I could just say, you're dismissed, and I'll just be happy right there. But I will try to preach a little bit. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Now, I will pause long enough at the beginning of this sermon to tell you that most of the time in my life, when I have heard preachers and teachers go to that passage, the message is something about the demonstration of God's power. Some of you are real nervous right now. Just hang on. You might want to wait to say amen here in just a second. If you can think it, God can go beyond it. If you can ask it, God can do greater things than you can ask. How many have been in services and you've heard this preacher preach like that? Now, just so to calm your fears, I believe that's true. I believe if we could think something, God can go beyond what we could think. And if we can ask for something, God can go way beyond what we could ask. How many have found that to be true personally in your life? Now, it's important that I share this with you. When we study the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the power of God is not the subject. It can apply. But today, with God's help, I want to try to teach and preach what Paul is truly saying, that God's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. So with that in mind, I want to, I want to preach about the love of Christ. Everyone say the love of Christ. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you for standing. Susan and Anna Warner were sisters that lived in the mid-1800s. They lived on Long Island in New York. 
They were both authors. They penned many poems and even wrote books. Among the most successful of their joint projects, which they published, was a novel that was entitled Say and Seal, S-E-A-L, Say, S-A-Y, and Seal. Anna wrote a song at her sister's request when they wrote this book that actually in time became one of the most widely known children's hymns. In the book, Say and Seal is the story of a little boy named Johnny Fox who is dying. John Linden was the boy's Sunday school teacher and friend who took the boy in his arms, who was riddled with pain as he was dying, and began to rock him in a chair. He began to sing a little song to the dying boy, which he composed while he was rocking the boy in his arms in the rocking chair. And Anna, the author's profound faith in God, is the inspiration for the childlike faith that is expressed through this fictitious man, John Linden, holding this fictitious boy named Johnny and rocking him in his arms. As he rocked him, John began to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I know without doubt most in this room, if you have any sort of faith background, have sang that song or you have heard that song in your past. I am very aware on this Sunday morning, this first Sunday of February 2023, that I am in a partnership with God today. I am not standing at this pulpit trying to singularly convince people of things. I do not have that in my power. I cannot orate well enough to get across eternal truth. I'm standing here in partnership with God. And I will tell you forthrightly, right out of the gate in this sermon, what the goal of this message is today. And it is simply to know the love of Christ. If I can preach in such a way from the scriptures that we exit this place feeling like and knowing that Jesus loves us, then this will be a successful service today. If we can walk out of this sacred sanctuary and get in our vehicles and head to a meal or home to rest or wherever you might be headed today, and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves me, then this will be a success. You say, well, pastor, how could anybody not realize that Jesus loves them? I am aghast, and I'll just be frank, over the years, at the number of people that I have met 
that when we really drill down on it, refuse to believe that God could love them. Refuse to believe that God could accept them. Refuse to believe that God could really want them back for real. But I've come to declare very clearly today, Jesus loves us today, New Life Church. Jesus loves you today. Jesus loves me today. You say, well, you don't know my background. I don't have to know your background. I believe there is a God that loves us in this house today. I believe there is a God with open arms today that when you walk through the back door of that church or you clicked on that computer to join us and worship digitally, was standing with open arms saying, I'm so glad you are here because I love you, I desire you, I want relationship with you, I want to draw close to you, I love you. And I'm asking the Lord to help us to know his love this morning. That we would have a knowledge of his love. That's through words. That's with our intellect. But we would also experience the love of God. I think it's true. When you experience that someone loves you, it'll burn a hole in your spirit. When you experience that someone actually loves you, to do something or to act in a certain way or to conduct themselves or to refrain from doing something. When we experience that kind of love, it will burn something in our spirit that will never, ever go away. There's something about love. There is something so powerful about love. Now, many times it is very easy to misunderstand the love of God. And somehow think that if God loves us, then he doesn't care how we live. Oh, so contrary. If he really loves us, he'll take us just like we are. Yes, he'll take us just like we are. I'm so glad I don't have to perform to get in his presence. I'm so thankful I don't have to twist his arm to get him to like me enough to accept me in his presence. He, he loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us just like we are. He loves me too much to just turn the blind eye and say, I'm going to let you die. That's not love to let me die in my sins. Love says, come on, come near me, draw near to me, but let me guide you now. Let me direct you now. Let me order your steps now. Let me reprioritize your life. It's easy to misunderstand the love of God because often it's, transactional how we view God that I do good things and then I earn God's love I act in such a way and that provides love for me from God scripturally however I recognize and experience God's love and in return for that in gratitude I live my life there is a law much greater than duty brothers and sisters there is a law much greater than just going through the motions and doing something out of rote it's the law of love it's when I love God and I choose to live in such a way out of response to that love of God. I want to please him. I want to walk after him. I want to respect his word. I want to walk in the will of God. I experience his love. And then I live in gratitude in my life. Why do some people get nervous about this? Well, it's because we are very wired to transactional relationships. We are. 
uh, nobody gets a raise at a job just for showing up. You ever thought about that? Mr. Newton, congratulations. You have showed up to work for 16 weeks in a row. We are now doubling your pay. And Pastor Chris says, claim it in Jesus' name. Let it be so, Lord. Tim Gaddy, you've pastored a church now for over two decades. And because of this, I now love you. We don't get stronger by showing up at the gym. I know what I'm talking about right now. We get so easily entrapped by this idea of transactional relationships that if I do enough, he'll love me. If I act right enough, he'll love me. If I go to the right places and refrain from going to the wrong places, he'll love me. Can I tell you something? And this is why people get a little nervous because people think, well, automatically we're going to flip to the other side of living sloppy. No, the love of Christ is something that is stronger than my flesh. The love of Christ, when I realize how much he loves me. Do you know there are some things that I do and some things I don't do simply because I love that woman sitting on that second row named Stacy Gaddy? My love holds my behavior. Amen. You don't have to say amen. I've, I've preached in libraries before. I'll, I'll preach again. <laughs> Some of you have heard me talk about this. Uh, can you imagine on, on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, if, if the gaddies get up and, and I look at my wife and I say, babe, fix me some scrambled eggs. <laughs> and some of you are really nervous with just my tone of voice right there. And to her I say, that marriage license that we signed almost 30 years ago, because of that, fix me some scrambled eggs. And she looks at me and she says, all right, I'll do it. But because of that marriage certificate that we signed, go take the trash out. And everything that we do, our relationship is built upon transactions. I signed something. I said some words at an altar. And because of that, you ought to love me. You ought to do this. No, there are some things in a relationship, a healthy relationship, that our conduct is governed out of love, simply out of love. I do things. I don't do things. I go places. I don't go places. Has nothing to do with duty. Has nothing to do with a piece of paper on the wall or some expectation of a person. It has everything to do with with love. Love is so strong. Love is so powerful. And if I could give a gift to people in this room today, including this guy right here, it would be to open up our spirits and deposit an understanding of the love of Christ in us. Amen. Uh, some people get afraid because it's going to foster sloppy commitments or people won't fear God enough. See, God's love does not excuse sin, but rather God's love chooses to focus on me as his child. 
Now, we, we throw a lot of words around that, well, we throw the word love around, but, but it means a bunch of different stuff. You're on a playground and with your kids, and your kid falls down and skins his knee. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry. God love him. In church, you, you come during connection time, and you see someone you haven't seen for seven days, and you come up to him and go, I love you. By the way, can, can I just say this? i got to get this out right now. Have you ever had anybody say to you, I love you, and you knew they were lying? Yeah. I just had to get that out. I'm sorry. You, they no more love you than the man on the moon. It's kind of like just a goodbye f- uh, statement. Love you. No, you don't. Hopefully to our spouse, we say it often. I love you. We verbalize it. We say it. Jesus hanging on the cross. What was that? That was an example of the love of Christ. But you and I open up our Bible to the New Testament, and we will find that the original language of the New Testament was not the English language. And so there were multiple words for the word love. There wasn't just this one common word that had all these different meanings, but there were multiple different words. Let me show them to you. First is storhe. Everybody say storhe. Storhe is the word for love in the Greek language that refers to empathy or sympathy. It's the love that you say, God love him, on the playground when you skin your knee. That's storhe love. Then there is philia love. Everybody say philia love. This is friendship, brotherly love. Friendship affection. It's what you feel for a fellow brother in the church, a fellow sister in the church. That is philia love. And then there is eros. This is romantic attraction, fleshly love. And then there is agape love, unconditional devotion. Love that expects absolutely nothing in return. It is love. It doesn't have conditions attached to it. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the kind of love that embodies the love of Christ. It is agape love. It is not just philia love. It is not just friendship love. It is not just storhe love or empathy love. It is an agape love. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't have conditions for that. He gave his life once and for all and said, I love you this much, and put his hands to the side and let him be crucified on that cross. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31 that love is a more excellent way. Agape love, unconditional, without strings attached love is a more excellent way. He goes on in the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and says, love, it's faithful. It's kind, it's not easily provoked, it suffers long, it's lasting. This is the kind of love that is not sappy and it's not sentimental. It is agape love, it is forever love, it is ongoing love. It's the love of Christ. See, I believe that the scripture teaches That God does not just love us, but God is love. 1 John 4 and 16, 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So how do I adequately respond or react when I realize the love of Christ? How do I live my life when that understanding comes to me? I believe it's the same Apostle Paul that gives us indication as to what that would look like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. Paul says this, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. For every person under the sound of my voice today that's wondering, how do I adequately respond to the love of Christ? I get it, Pastor. You're preaching it. I'm seeing it in the Word of God that it's an unconditional love. It's an ongoing, unending love. But what is the proper response? When I leave this sanctuary today and I start into this week in February, how should I live my life? Paul said the love of Christ compels us that we should no longer live for ourselves. See, that's the issue. Too often... I am stuck on living for myself. But when I understand the love of Christ, I take the back seat. Because I no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me and rose again. Paul said the love of Christ compels me. One version says it like this. The love of Christ constrains me. It literally holds me. Brother Jason, can I, can I use you for a second? Can you come up here and join me with something? I appreciate Brother Jason. He did a great job leading worship today, didn't he? Great job. I want you to turn and just face that way right there. And just, let me just use a homemade example here. Perhaps there is something in the future of Brother Jason that really kind of, and I know you, you look at him and you think this would never happen, but it kind of aggravates him. And, and maybe we need to turn this way. <laughs> I'm not dumb, folks. Because I could already hear, I could hear the wheels turning in some of y'all's head. I'm going to tell Pastor, I know exactly what he was talking about. <laughs> but there's something in the future that Brother Jason is, is potentially aggravated about, it, and he wants to respond in his flesh. And, he, and you know what? He's normal. I'm normal. You're normal. Nobody's glorified yet. We don't got any supermen and, and wonder women in this house. 
But the Bible says, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me or the love of Christ constrains me. He wants to go and act in the flesh. He wants to re respond in the flesh. He wants to reach out in the flesh and, and respond in a hateful. And I know, I know we, we, we act like this doesn't happen, but folks, just wait till tomorrow. Just wait till Thursday. Just wait till that guy at the office does that again. And we're going to get an opportunity to test the love of Christ. But Paul says, when I want to act like that, the love of Christ constrains me. It holds me. It compels me. I realize I've got to let my love shine. I've got to let the love of Christ shine through my life. It literally holds me. Thank you. That was easy, wasn't it? There you go. You, you can be seated. It compels me. It constrains me. The love of Christ is meant to govern my entire life. Now, there are four prayer requests that Paul makes for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 3 and 16 in the verses leading up to our text that we read at the beginning of this sermon, and I want you to see them. And I want you to see what it was that Paul was so diligent about praying over these Ephesian believers. Here it is, number one. First of all, that they would have strength granted by God's Spirit in the inner man. I'm praying for that today. I'm praying for that for every person under the sound of my voice right now. Not that you would be physically strong. I want you to be physically strong. But more than physically strong, God would give us strength granted by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. That we will be strong inside. Secondly, Paul says, my prayer is that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. Thirdly, that there would be a comprehending of the four-dimensional love of Christ. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ, that somehow we will be able to comprehend what that looks like in our life. And then number four, and this is the one that just makes my brain explode, that you Ephesian believers would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that, brothers and sisters, is an impossibility. How can someone, watch, watch the phrasing here, be filled with all the fullness of God? A God who is without limits, without boundaries. His grace knows no limits. His love knows no limits. And Paul is saying, Ephesian believers, I'm praying that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. It's interesting that after Paul extends his prayer in the scripture that believers would know the love of Christ. In verse number 19 he says, "By the way, it passes knowledge. It can't be understood." Now, let me stop here and I'm just about done, but let me stop here. Everybody look right up here. On the surface, 
If you and I read what Paul is writing to the Ephesians about he wants them to be filled with all the fullness of God, to understand the breadth, the width, the height, the length of the love of God. And then he finishes by saying, and oh, by the way, it's beyond what you can understand. If he leaves us there, we might as well fold our Bibles and go to Pepito's and eat enchiladas. Because it's over. If his idea of us understanding the love of Christ is predicated on our human ability to understand the love of Christ, he is he's witnessing to them. It's impossible. It passes knowledge. Watch this. Next verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Do you see how that verse is not talking about the demonstration of God's power? It's talking about God allowing through his infinite power for us to have a knowledge of how much he truly loves us. He can go beyond what we think about his love for us. He can go beyond what we think about his love for us. He can go exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could even ask or think concerning the love of God. That's a great God right there. I want it for you, brother. I want it for you. I want you to live a life that is not by rote or routine, but is governed by the love of Christ. It's governed by the love of Christ. I want you to live a life that's not duty-based. It's not works-based. I'm not preaching something sloppy right now. I'm preaching something stronger than any kind of works mentality. And that's living by the love of Christ. That compels us. That constrains us. It's as though we say, God, I can't quite express the depth of the love that you have for us. And Paul says, well, there is one that can do that. He can go beyond and he can give you that understanding of the love of Christ. I want you to stand with me if you would, please. Brother Jim Gaddy, can you, can you join me up here? Come here, Pop. <laughs> I was preaching at a conference a few months ago, and I was telling a story about my dad. Some of you will, will, may, may remember this. Come here, Pop. We're going to go up those stairs. We were over in what is now the chapel. We'll go slow. I got you. I got you. You better hope. <laughs> Oh, that was good right there. (laughs) 
so I was, I was preaching over in what's now the chapel, and uh, it was one of those Sundays that was like red hot. I mean, it was the worship was just, pah, you know, just people jumping and rejoicing and singing and dancing and having a big time. I love those kind of services. And um, I got up to preach, and it was one of those services. And if, if you've ever been in a church like this, there are occasions, not often, but there are occasions when a service will kind of go in such a way that the worship just kind of takes over. We used to call them runaway services when I was growing up. And, and it always used to kind of, it always bugged me after I became a preacher because when I was a kid and they'd say, man, we had a runaway service. We didn't even have any preaching. And I didn't mind that when I wasn't a preacher. When I became a preacher and I thought, wow, you mean people are gauging the service by whether or not we had preaching or not? Anyways, that's a whole other issue. I, I'm working through that. But <laughs> this was one of those services, but I did, I did preach. I got up to preach. And look, people, this church was just right with me and amen and an amen corner was strong that day. And I, I looked in the back and my dad, he was on our ushering team at the time, and he was standing at the back doing the ushering thing, kind of like Brother Tom is back there right now. And while all of, some of you were there, some of you weren't, while all of y'all were facing this way, like preaching with me, my dad was in the back facing this way, and he's giving it one of these. <laughs> and I just got ramped up. I mean, it's one thing for y'all to praise God. It's another thing when the guy that is your dad does that. I mean, that just kind of lit me over the top. And so I, I hollered out, Michael, I hollered out, I said, Pop, come on up here, come on up here. And he couldn't hear me. And so he just kept, you know. <laughs> Finally, you know, the back two or three rows turned around and said, Pop, he wants you up there. So my dad came up, and I'll never forget what my dad said to me. He comes up on the platform like this. I don't know if you remember this. He comes up on the platform, and like the place is just ready to break apart. And he leans over to me, and he says this. And by the way, this is going to help some of y'all Whoever look. I had a guy tell me one time, how come you just get so red in the face and spit and snot and stuff when you preach? This is going to tell you why right here. Because this guy leans over to me in that moment when we're having church and says to me in my ear, let's dance. Now, if you thought I was cranked up before that time, just wait for someone at that time in their 80s who is saying to me, let's dance. And so I just got, I got my, my shout on. I just started dancing like this. And my dad, he wasn't, he wasn't shouting nearly as high as I was. He just kind of shuffling his feet. But that was like picking them up and putting them down compared to me. That's where I come from. That's my heritage. That's my DNA. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The other night, I, I, my wife and I went over to have dinner with my parents, and when I walked through the door of my dad's house, my mom and dad's house, I didn't have to come running up to my dad and say, Pop, it's me, your son. <laughs> have, I done, have I called you enough this week? Have I done enough good things to be your son this week? No, he just said, hey, Tim, come on in. I'm glad you brought the pizza. <laughs> Because there's no qualifications. That's my father, and I'm his son. Do you know why he loves me? Ready? Here we go. He loves me because I exist. 
Not because of what I've done for him. Not because of what I'm going to do for him. He loves me simply because I am his. I want someone to get this today. God loves you today because you exist. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what you will do. He loves you because you're his. And Paul said that kind of love, that selfless agape love, it compels me to act in such a way. It constrains me to live in such a way. It's not duty, it's love. Praise God. I want to understand the breadth, the width, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. And if that's you, I wish you would just voice that to the Lord right now. I want to know the love of Christ. Come on, I want to know the love of Christ. Come on, I'm, I'm inviting someone to a lifetime pursuit today. I'm inviting some man to a lifetime pursuit of the love of Christ. I'm inviting some woman to a lifetime pursuit of the love of Christ. Come on, this pastor's preaching. I believe what is the key, it's the key for living an overcoming life is understanding the love of Christ. The love of Christ, the love of Christ, the love of Christ. See, when we understand the love of Christ, we are much more forgiving when people hurt us because we know we have been forgiven much. I heard one preacher said it like this, he is desiring to be the one in the room that can be offended the least. You can't offend me out of the church. Why, because I know the love of Christ. I know what he's done for me, so I'm going to extend that to somebody else. It doesn't mean I let people run me over, but I understand the love of Christ, how much he loves me. Praise God. Praise God. 